1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt
2: Miller.
3: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg
1: Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Well, one of the key issues swirling around markets these days is inflation. We're certainly seeing plenty of signs of inflation. The question is... Is it more transitory as the Federal Reserve believes or is it something uh, more permanent that may pose a challenge to the markets? Let's bring in Adal Zaman, partner at Wall Street Alliance Group, uh, to get some thoughts here. Adal, thanks so much for joining us here. Again, that inflation discussion has really been heating up over the last several weeks and it certainly has profound implications for the markets going forward. How do you guys at Wall Street Alliance view kind of what appears to be some growing inflation in this economy?
4: Uh, Great to be with you, Paul. So, you know, we really feel that inflation over here is a dominant theme. It's not transitory. It's here to stay. And, you know, the jobs report this Friday will probably give affirmation of that as well. And, you know, there are different reasons for inflation, one of which obviously is the labor shortage. And uh, being in New York City, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but one of the things we are suffering from is that the Uber and Lyft prices have skyrocketed.
1: Yeah, if you can find them. Oh,
4: boy, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, year over year, they've actually, according to research, have gone up by about 40%. And the reason for that is there's a shortage of drivers. So uh. for this reasons and others, you know, we really feel that inflation is a dominant investment team for us at Wall Street Alliance Group. And we are investing in sectors and businesses that tend to do well in an inflationary environment.
3: I got to say, um, that doesn't make me unhappy because those those guys, they work so hard and that is a tireless job. Sometimes they're putting in, you know, more than twelve hour shifts. And I, I did a little stint as a Lyft driver in an Aston Martin Vantage V8 once. And it, <laughs> how did that go? It was uh, actually that was pretty fun because I was in an Aston Martin. But most Uber drivers are not. You, you know the right. the um, the interesting thing on the labor side is. There are a lot of slots that aren't getting filled, not just Uber and Lyft, but also hotels that we talk to, restaurants that we talk to, because the unemployment benefits are so good. And I'm wondering if that's also um, the problem for Uber and Lyft. Do you think we're going to see this change big time in September?
4: So uh, definitely that is uh, we feel that that is definitely a factor. And come September, you know, we are going to see a change in this. And, you know, one of the things that's going to happen, Paul, is that when these all these workers come back to the workforce after the bonus unemployment is finished, we are going to get an increase in demand, and that's going to cause prices to go up. So there's, again, going to be inflation. So either way, you know, we cannot get away from inflation. It's here to stay and the prudent approach is to identify sectors that will benefit from inflation. So, for example, we are very constructive on the bank banking sectors because when interest rates go up, guess what's going to happen? Banks are going to be able to make more money on their loans, right? Banks tend to also do well at times of economic recovery because businesses have to restock their shelves, so they have to borrow money, right? And then the capital positions of these banks improve. So they're able to do more buybacks. They're able to give out more dividends. So we feel that, you know, the banking sector as a whole is going to do well in an inflationary environment.
1: So, Adele, I'm probably in that camp that says, you know, you're not going to get real sustained inflation in this economy until you get wage inflation. And we didn't even have wage inflation, I would argue, before the pandemic when we were at full employment do you think we will, in fact, have meaningful wage inflation in this economy as, as it reopens?
4: So uh, even right now, you know, even in your program, I'm, I'm listening to the advertisements by Amazon about, you know, how they're going to give bonuses to workers to lure them, right? So I think that, you know, as the economy recovers, you know, there's going to be demand for labor and, you know, companies are going to compete for it and they're going to have to pay higher prices as they are right now. Another thing that we are seeing going on parallelly, uh, Paul, is this uh, infrastructure package. And, you know, because of this, we do feel that that's going to, in one way or the other, get passed. And because of that, you know, again, you know, more jobs are going to get created and we are going to see, you know, wages also go higher. And, you know, speaking of this infrastructure package, we really feel that this is something that is uh, of dire need in the U.S. because, you know, when you travel to countries like, let's say, China or Singapore, you see how badly the U.S. is lagging the rest of the world in infrastructure. According to the American Society of Civil Engineers, currently the U.S. gives gives the U.S. infrastructure a C-grade, so we feel that there's bipartisan support for this. And, you know, even if the, we have to expand the national debt to to pass this infrastructure package, we would still be fine with it because the interest rates costs are extremely low right now.
3: Adil, thanks so much for joining us. Adil, i on there. He's a partner at the Wall Street Alliance Group, talking to us about inflation and infrastructure. Really, a couple of hot topics. We're going to get more out uh, on this at the Beige Book later tonight, and or later today, I should say. And then, obviously, non-farm payrolls on Friday. This is Bloomberg. Now, I love drugs but they are expensive. (laughs) Our next guest wants to do something about that and uh, make them better as well at fighting diseases. Dr. David Giljohan joins us now, CEO of Execure, and you are using really fascinating future tech not only to um, make drugs that treat cancer and other rare diseases, but also to make them cost less. How's that working out?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here today. Um, So we're using digital drug design, that's what we call, to create new DNA-based medicines to basically go after underlying causes of disease at their genetic source. The idea being you want to go upstream and kind of turn off the tap uh, directly where the disease is coming from, and we can do that quite simply now by using your A's, G's, T's, and C's, your genetic code, uh, to go right to that source.
1: All right, Doctor, have have we had any success stories in the biotech world using this type of technology, or is this something new?
2: Well, it's actually for a brand new thing uh, that we're doing to go after some of these underlying causes of genetic disease. But there's a really fascinating example that everybody now knows, which is Moderna. So Moderna used to create that vaccine uh, for COVID, you know, that AGTC idea, you can just simply look at the genetic code of the COVID uh, variant, and you can start to create that drug directly to make drugs faster and ultimately cheaper for patients.
3: And what else can they – what else do you think we're going to be able to treat well with RNA, with mRNA uh,
2: drugs? Yeah, we're creating all kinds of different um, mRNA and RNA drugs that actually cure. So we're going after things as diverse as cancer, you know, which are genetically caused diseases as well. We have things like Friedrich's ataxia, Huntington's disease, um, Alzheimer's, things that are everywhere from your brain to your skin to your eyes to your lungs. Really, everywhere within your body, you have the ability now to target the genetic code. Um, And finally, that technology has arrived, and we think Execure has one of those keys to allow that to be the case. So,
1: doctor, you know a lot of folks out there when they think about the, the COVID vaccinations that are out there, whether it's the Pfizer or the Moderna or the J and J, you know, one of the concerns is, boy, they just got approved so fast. Everybody's, you know, I'm, I'm used to these drugs taking years to get approved, and they got improved in less than a year. What's a, what do you say to that? Is that is that just a function of hey, the technology is better? What do you say?
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, it's obviously driven by a, a urgent need, right? So we need to move faster. Regulations need to be moved, um, you know, aside in some cases to go faster. The amount of resources that was dumped into uh, creating those technologies and getting it out fast was also tremendous. But it really just goes to show the power of when you put you know, some of these new technologies like DNA and RNA medicines to work. How quickly you can solve something that's so pressing, um, you know, societal challenge or a personal challenge for folks as well. So that same technology can be applied to everything from cancers to lung disease. Uh, we just have to you know, come up with the muster to do it. And the technology is like we have it executed our spherical nucleic acid to go after it.
3: So how long till we find a way to cure cancer? How long do we have to deal with cancer? Cause it's a real pain
2: yeah, well, problem. Cancer is going to be all around. Uh, I mean, cancer is not going anywhere. I mean, it's, it's going to continue to manifest itself. You know, we have uh, that issue you can't, Obviously, go one step without running to somebody who's dealt with cancer in their family. Um, you know, the idea is once you have that cancer, rather than use something like a chemotherapeutic or an antibody, which can be very nonspecific and lead to all kinds of side effects, why not go after that underlying genetic that's causing the cancer? You know, everything comes down to your genes in the end so why can't we specifically target those cancer cells when they exist and go after treating those cancers you know rather than uh, you know using the nuclear option and going after some of these things with non-specific mm. chemotherapeutics so at Execure, what
1: are you guys targeting what's your your home run that you're hoping to uh, hit
2: yeah so we're using a technology that we call spherical nucleic acid or sna and so you are talking now about DNA and RNA-based medicines. This is a spiritual version of the – Yeah, balls. absolutely. So <laughs> I really love the balls um, analogy here. We put DNA and RNA on the outside of a nanoparticle. And by putting DNA and RNA on the outside, we're able to get those DNA and RNA structures into cells And once we're in the cells, now we can start going after those defunct or uh, misread genetic codes to reprogram things, if you will, uh, to be uh, more correct for the patient in need. And so we're we're able to do this very quickly. Yeah, I got to ask uh, just
3: finally, because he's going through a messy process right now. But Bill Gates has done so much for mankind already. What's it like working with a genius like that?
2: Yeah, well, very grateful to have an investor like Bill Gates in our company. I think he sees the parallels between what we're doing the A's, G's, T's, and C's, which is the genetic code, and the 0101 of you know the Internet age and, and DNA and um, uh, programming, right, that you get on your computer. Everything from your iPhone to uh, your computer and, and everything in between is, is governed by those zeros and ones. So I think there's some great parallels there. Um, yep. I think Bill Gates is a visionary, and uh, putting those two things together and thinking about medicine the same way we're thinking about the digital age is a great way to look at developing drugs for the future.
1: Yep. David, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Dr. David Gil-Johan. He's the CEO of biotech company Exicure.
5: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. Start your journey at steeple.com. That's S T I F E L.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member S I P C and N Y S E.
3: Let's get now over to Christina Hooper. She's the Chief Global Market Strategist at Invesco, and she joins us with um, a round of what we need to be watching right now for in these markets. Christine, I guess um, the Beige Book comes out tonight. I'm going to be watching closely for. Shortages of uh, uh, of goods, and also to see how tight the labor force is. But probably the the big deal data point to follow is the non farm payrolls on Friday, right?
0: What's great about the beige book is it helps provide stories. It gives color around the data points that we get and so the last page book that came out in april i think helped un- make uh, sense of the most recent that april jobs report which was disappointing um where not enough jobs were created uh, as expect as had been expected and and that helped provide a little backstory on it all
1: right so Christine, I think one of the uh, key issues that investors are trying to get uh, a handle on right now is inflation. We, we certainly see it in various parts of the economy, whether you're looking at uh, – you know, of, of the economy, whether you're looking at commodities such as the soft commodities or even metals or, and, and crude. The question is, is it something transitory like the Federal Reserve is suggesting or is it something more long-lasting, which may be problematic to the markets? Where do you come down on that question?
0: Well, the irony is we won't know until it's in our rearview mirror, right? But what I would argue is that I think it's more likely to be transitory. We are right now witnessing uh, an incredibly strong um, economic growth spurt. Um, We are reopening the economy. We have uh, elevated household savings. We have pent-up demand. It's almost a perfect storm in the positive sense. So it makes sense that we would see just a, a very significant increase in demand for all kinds of things uh, we have the supply chain disruptions contributing to these issues and of course um, there is a smaller group of people willing to work right now because of concerns about COVID-19 which is ebbing but also of course uh, difficulty with childcare. some schools are still online daycare isn't at full capacity in some places so all those things are likely to get worked out um, over the shorter term we're not going to be taking vacation Forever, We'll get it out of our system soon. So I would argue it's more likely to be transitory.
3: Um, Even if that's the case, there are still problems with price increases in a lot of really important areas like housing. And I I saw a great piece on the MLive blog today from Wes Goodman pointing out that central banks in Europe – in the UK and Canada and the U.S. are all watching this closely, all a little bit worried that this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of tapering. What do you think of the soaring housing prices?
0: Well, it's certainly a concern. And, and we do have members of the SLMC who are focused on that. Um, but what I would say is that it is not um, it is not to me, uh, as big a concern as, for example, wage growth. We want to follow that closely. That tends to create uh, stickier inflation. Just because housing is a function of uh, a variety of other components, like, for example, uh, a desire to... own as opposed to rent. There's always the option. I think the market often corrects itself when prices get too high. Uh, People opt to rent. So I I don't worry as much about the housing market as I worry about other parts of the economy.
1: Christina, earlier this morning, Tom Keene and I were speaking to Doug Cass uh, of Seabreeze Partners, and he was making a case that he is pretty darn close to becoming net short this market, uh, citing a number of reasons, including valuation. How do you feel about valuation of this market right here?
0: Well, valuations are stretched for parts of this market. Um, but having said that, um, we have everything is relative, and we have to look at it in the context of monetary policy, which is incredibly accommodative right now. Um, so I think it does really alter um, the landscape when we look at valuations. So what I would say is that we don't want to abandon this stock market. Um, but we do want to add in uh, components of our portfolio that have lower valuations. And sometimes that means going outside the U.S.
3: Going outside the U.S. and where to?
0: Well, uh, European equities uh, have lower valuations, emerging markets equities. And you can make the argument with Europe that it is following the path of the U.S., um, but it has longer legs just because it is not as far along in its, its economic recovery. All
2: right,
1: Christina, thank you so much. We always appreciate getting your market opinions and thoughts here. Christina Hooper, she's a chief global market strategist for Invesco. One of the leading stories in the world of sports right now is Naomi Osaka and her withdrawal from the French Open. Uh, Naomi cited, uh, among other things, uh, dealing. She needs to deal uh, time to deal with some mental health issues, and that certainly brings to the fore, you know, mental health and the pandemic and uh, how that's impacted mental health uh, of folks across the board. Our next guest has some thoughts there. George Goldsmith, he's co-founder, chairman, and chief executive officer of Compass Pathways, and uh, uh, talking about, um, you know, mental therapy using potentially psychedelic therapies. George, thanks so much for joining us here. Again, mental health always on the front of people's minds, but maybe even more so during this pandemic. Talk to us about what you folks at Compass Pathways are doing towards this issue.
6: Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity. And and you're right, you know, not only is this top of mind for so many of us, particularly coming out of the pandemic, and we're reading about it uh, whether it's sports stars or royal family members, I think that it's now something we can talk about. And it's really important because this is a huge, uh, undescribed problem far too often. there's Just in depression alone, Mm. we have 100 million people who aren't helped by what exists today in terms of therapies. And we created Compass really to look at how we create affordable new treatments for that. And one of the things that's really caught our interest and focus is looking at psilocybin, which is a psychedelic medicine, and bringing that into clinical trials based on some really exciting early stage studies. So what can be
3: done? I'll say um, I agree that I don't think mental health issues should be stigmatized. I think it should be like physical health issues. Um, You know, like if you break an arm or if you have back problems. I had... uh, I think a really intense bout of depression and anxiety brought on by Lyme disease. And I was fortunate enough to find doctors um, who understood what was going on and, and gave me fluvoxamine and some other drugs that really helped a lot. And, you know, I was back on my feet and, and ready to rumble in, in a month. And I'm, I'm I'm really glad that I didn't kind of hide away, as was my initial, you know, as, as was my initial reaction or my initial um, uh idea. What can be done with psilocybin that can't be done with SSRIs and other drugs that are so helpful already?
6: Sure. I think that they are, there's a lot of different treatments that do make a difference for a lot of people, but unfortunately not for nearly enough. And this is the hundred million people who are so-called treatment resistant. And by the way, I really appreciate you sharing your story. We like to say everyone has a story. And as we look around whether it's friends, family, we all see someone who has struggled at some point, and often, you know, even ourselves. And I think this is really important. So thank you for sharing your story, and hopefully more people can. What's different about our approach is that, first of all, it's targeted for people who aren't helped by current approaches, and there are a lot of them, as I mentioned. Our approach is really very, very different. It's, a single dose of a high, a high dose of psilocybin, um, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. It's a psychedelic <laughs> medicine that was really explored a great deal in the 50s and 60s. And then obviously they became illegal as they escaped the laboratory and we had the 60s and so forth. Um, but Al's and the
3: acid test still on tour with the Grateful Dead and friends. <laughs>
6: you bet, right? And, and so, so all of this then somehow inspired a group of scientists because between 1940 and 1960, 40,000 people were in trials with LSD and lesser psilocybin. This got revisited in the 2000s by Johns Hopkins, NYU, UCLA, Imperial College in London, all showed really promising studies. We created COMPASS to build on that early evidence and bring it to patients and make sure it was accessible through rigorous clinical trials. And right now, we're finishing up our phase two trial, which is the phase that goes before the next, it's the next to last phase to get to patients. And we'll be reporting out on that next year, or at the end of this year, actually, and I think what's really important is we're doing that in 10 countries because the problem is global and the need is high. So we're really excited about the work that we're doing, and we'll have results to report out, and hopefully those will build on the incredibly interesting results of the prior studies. Again, what's really cool here, a single dose on un- mm. a carefully controlled sim- uh, situation given by professionally trained people, um, it's a really different model and has people see their lives differently.
1: Uh, George, you mentioned cost uh, before. Can you give us a sense of kind of the cost of maybe this type of treatment that you guys are focusing on versus maybe what's more traditional in, in the marketplace now?
6: Well, I think one of the things that's happening, I'm sure you've covered it other places, is a move to value-based pricing and how that works. And we really think it's, we're accountable for how much value can we create. So it's premature until we have the research to be able to talk about how much this would cost. Uh, until we understand who benefits, how, how much a benefit, how long it lasts. So that's all work being done. But we clearly make a view that this has to be affordable. The problem is huge. And, again, with such large patient markets, obviously uh, you can have it be affordable and still have a large benefit for investors. And clearly our investors believe in that uh, post uh, going public in September and also in our most recent follow-on fundraising on the market of NASDAQ.
3: I mean, when I was a kid, an eighth of shrooms was about $30. I don't think it's changed that much um, today. But you've <laughs> got the whole clinical uh, aspect around it. So it's not like, you know, you're sitting in your uh, mom's living room listening to Allison well, Chains, well, looking at the Oriental see. rug.
6: <laughs> yeah, I can tell you had some of that experience. So, look, I think let's be really clear. we're No mushrooms are harmed in our work. We're doing this at a global level, synthetic psilocybin, developed to the highest standards, GMP, working with regulators on both sides of the Atlantic, and then developing this in a, with lots of data so people can feel confident that... Um, When they have this experience, it's backed up by really data, significant data. We have FDA breakthrough therapy designation uh, for our work in treatment-resistant depression. So it's a little different than the uh, purchasing magic mushrooms and hanging out in an oriental carpeted room.
1: (laughs) Hey, George, thanks so much for joining us. Really fascinating story here. George Goldsmith, he's co-founder, chairman, and chief executive officer of Compass Pathways with some potentially new therapies For mental health, and uh, certainly an issue here, ever more so given the
3: pandemic. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at matt miller1973,
1: and I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at pt sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.